I'm real excited about this series today. And, uh, you know, we were on this awesome series. I felt like that was really uh, huge for us as a church, talking about the Holy Spirit and uh, the indwelling. And so, uh, anyway, one of the scriptures that we, that we talked about a lot is about uh, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Come on, do not quench the Spirit of God. And so I really felt like that we needed to do a series on, you know, things that could quench or stifle the Holy Spirit. And we, we talked about in that series that, that uh, the Holy Spirit's only limitation is our yielding. Come on, are you with me? His, uh, God's only limitation on the earth is the yielding of God's kids, of God's people. It's the only, only thing that's waiting for worldwide revival is not more prayer meetings. It's more yielding. That'll include prayer meetings. Come on. Are you with me? Overflow? All right. So anyway, I was, there's an event that happened in 1986. How many of y'all were alive in 86? Like five of us? (laughs) On April 26, 1986, at 1 a.m. in the morning, two electrical engineers later described an incident as they were playing around with the machine controlling tower number four of the Chernobyl nuclear power plant in Ukraine. They were performing what Soviets later described as an unauthorized experiment. They're experimenting to see how long a turbine would run when they took power off to it. Taking the power off that kind of nuclear reactor is a difficult and dangerous thing to do because these reactors are very unstable in lower ranges. In order to get the reactor down to that kind of power, where they could perform the tests they were interested in performing, they had to override manually six separate warning systems. Rather than shutting down the experiment, they shut off the alarms, resulting in the largest industrial disaster of all time. Tower 4 exploded, caught on fire, and launched large quantities of radioactive particles into the atmosphere, which spread over much of Western USSR in Europe, 63,000 miles of, of radioactive areas, forbidden, dangerous areas. During the incident itself, 31 people died, and long-term effects such as cancer deformity, and deformities are still being accounted for. Thousands were affected at what happened at Chernobyl, Chernobyl that day. Radiation levels equivalent to over 300 nuclear bombs. 300 nuclear bombs. Some scientists say it will take over 600 years, over 600 years for the radiation levels at Chernobyl to normalize. The nearby city of Pripyat, I'm saying it correctly, Pripyat, right? Was that it? I think so. Over 45, a a town of about 45,000 people had to be evacuated. They told that they would be able to come back after their home when it was safe. They left their homes never, ever to return because radiation levels were too high. Thousands report cancer, deformations, these type of things have been reported. All because two workers decided to play around with something toxic. And so we are going to explore these things that are toxic. 
Many times we like to take weaknesses or sin things and we kind of minimize them. And so what we're going to do over the next four to six weeks is we're going to talk about some things that are toxic to your life. Things that can actually stifle the Holy Spirit's work in you. I don't know about you, but when I sing that song this morning, when I'm singing, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here, I'm not just talking about this place. I'm talking about this place. And so many times in my life, I make stupid choices, and I do foolish things that hinder the work of my life. And what is happening is I am releasing toxic things that are harmful to me and harmful for the kingdom of God. And so we've got to treat these issues that we're going to be talking about very carefully. We've got to get them before the Lord. And so I wanted to talk, we're going to talk about several things. And, uh, and uh, over this series, uh, poisons that sicken and the realities that heal. Come on, are you with me? How many of y'all sometimes you feel sick? And I don't mean physical sickness. Come on, like something, how many of you ever done something stupid and you're like, after you did it, you're like, what's wrong with me? Right? I did that the other day. I was like, what's wrong with me? Why why am I thinking like that? What is wrong with me? How how many guys have ever had those moments? So this morning, I felt like it would be appropriate for us to start off this series by talking about the poison of self. The poison of self. I believe that this is the core of all these other issues In Mark chapter 2, we see Jesus. I love to study when Jesus called the disciples. I love to look at the the stories of what they were doing and how much their life changed when Jesus said, come follow me. And I find it very interesting that they were willing to go all out. They weren't asking Jesus to adapt to their lifestyle. They were laying everything down, leaving everything to follow Jesus. And I'm in dire desire to see a generation of people that will wake up and abandon all and forsake be willing to forsake all to follow Jesus that there would be nothing too great in our lives that he could require of us that anything he would ask of us we would give it freely as an act of love i think we've done a good job of being disciplined but discipline isn't going to get you there come on are you with me Mark chapter 2, Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus. Now, if you want to name your children something that they'll be made fun of for the rest of their life, name them Alphaeus. And everybody will call him Alfie, probably. So he had a son, Alphaeus had a son named Levi. And it said that he was sitting at a tax collector's booth. Now, you've got to understand something about tax collectors in Jesus' day. They were crooked criminals. They were people that would, that would re- take the taxes. They were mean to be, if people didn't pay their taxes. They would beat up people. They would take more than they were supposed to take. They were the mobsters of the day. And so you have, I, I picture Levi being like, not this like, you know, kind of young, skinny. I, I see him, you know, like in a pinstripe suit, right, with a bowler hat on and a cigar in his mouth and a glass of whiskey sitting on his table, on his tax table. And people come up, he's like, let's see what you got here. Taking a little bit for himself. But one day he's collecting taxes. They were considered evil, evil men. Again, they were mobsters. They were crooked. And Jesus goes up to his booth where he's at, and he says, follow me. 
and be my disciple. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, it says that Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to, the home, to his home as dinner guests, along with many other tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. So get the picture, right? Here's like this, these gangsters, right? And Levi, like a head gangster, says, hey, come over to my house, Jesus. I'm following you now, but would you come over? I, I want to introduce you to some of my friends. <laughs> so here's Jesus, meek and mild, right? Shows up at Levi's house where there's all these mobsters. I mean, they've got like Uzis on the table, right? <laughs> They're all boozing. Rooms filled with smoke. Illegal card tables, right? Rolling dice. You guys with me? They're doing probably all kinds of, who knows what they're doing. But we know that this is a place where sinners gathered. And so Jesus shows up and they hang out. But when the teachers of the religious law, now it says that there are many people like this kind among Jesus' followers. So many of the people that left that life, they actually left that life and followed Jesus. These were the kind of people that came to Jesus, were people that were screw-ups, right? Were people that were from broken homes in our society, people that lived in the projects, people that ran gangs. These are the kind of people that left everything and followed Jesus. Fishermen were not, you know, just clean-cut guys, right? Have you guys ever watched, watched those shows, like the deep-sea fishermen guys? They're pretty rough. So the people that Jesus chose to be part of his life weren't just these, like, clean-cut, polished, three-piece suit, Guys, they were dirty, rough. They were the outcast of society. Every, everybody that was clean and polished didn't like these kind of people. And so many of the followers of Jesus were these kind of people. And so the religious people, the, uh, the teachers of the religious law who were Pharisees, saw him eating with these tax collectors and with other sinners. They saw Jesus hanging out with all these sinners. This is where we get Jesus, friend of sinners. And they asked his disciples. So they're like, hey, you know, these, these guys have cleaned up a little bit, right? They're following Jesus now. They're clean. They probably shaved. Probably not because beards are tough. So, uh, but they were, you know, they didn't smell like fish anymore. They've been following Jesus. And they said, why does he eat with such scum? Why does he eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, so here's Jesus hanging out with his disciples. They don't go to Jesus and ask him. They go to his disciples isn't it funny how religious people will never go to the source issue? They always want to go to somebody else and complain to somebody else rather than going to the one that they have the problem with. <laughs> it's because they're cowards. And Jesus told them this, very important. He said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. But I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those that know they are sinners. Touche. <laughs> right? So Jesus is laying out. He's like, listen, if you think you're righteous, if you think you've got it all together, if you think that you've done something to attain a right standing with God, I didn't come to call you. So we know that Jesus spent most of his ministry exposing intentions of the heart. Listen, one of the most toxic mindsets 
in our society right now, I believe more than ever um, in my life, my young life, I have witnessed that now more than ever that there is this toxic mindset of self-justification. People are consumed with self. Millions are made every year on self-help programs, self-esteem, self-improvement, self-acceptance, self-love. It's the mantra of the hour. This is the way I am, and I am good. I am good enough. This is the mantra. This is the, the declaration of the age. This is the way I am. I was born this way. I am okay. I am good. I am righteous because this is the way I was born. But Jesus didn't come for the healthy. Jesus didn't come for those that are good. He came for to those he didn't come for those that are strong. He came for those that are weak. He came for those that are needy. Jesus' life was surrounded by the needy. That's why when we cry out during worship, we're saying, God, we need you. We need you. Oh, why are we saying that? Because we recognize that we are a broken people without the presence of Jesus in our life. The only good in us is him. And so we have this huge issue in society. Let me tell you, the greatest idol today, and there are many idols, but the greatest idol today is self. It's the greatest religion in the world. The biggest religion in the world is the religion of self-worship. The problem with the religious, and I will say this, many times we equate the religious of Jesus' hour with the church. Can I tell you that we don't equate with the religious of Jesus' hour. We equate with after Jesus rose from the dead and people were able to be righteous, we get to see ourselves in light of the, the disciples. That's the church. The religious people weren't the church. There's a big misconception in the church or people outside of the church saying, well, Jesus didn't like religious people. Right? And so what they're saying is they're saying that, that Jesus doesn't like the church now. You guys know what I'm saying? And so they're like, oh, you know, God, there's all these Christians. They're just religious, just like, no, 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 no. We are book of Acts people. We're those that function with power. We are followers of Christ, not just followers of a system. Are you with me? So the world, listen, religion isn't owned by the church. Religion is a spirit of the world. Are you with me? And the greatest religion today is the religion of self, self-worship. How to, how to become a better you. How to feel better about yourself. Me, 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 me. It's the mantra of the age. So we need to repent of that mindset. Are you okay today? You're quiet. The strength of the scum that Jesus hung out with is that they knew their need for a Savior. Listen, did you know that one day we will all stand before a holy God and give account for the life that we lived? We will all stand there before God. And what we can do is we can choose today in this moment to embrace Jesus and what he did, or we can stand on our own, on our own accord, in the way that we were born, in the way that we feel, and and how good I am. So we can go to God and we can have perfect justice based on those terms, or perfect mercy based upon the terms of Jesus. 
So will it be based, when you stand before God, will it be based upon your goodness, of your self-discipline, of how good and how much you loved yourself, or will it be based upon His goodness? But we must decide now. Are you with me? We must decide now whose goodness gets me before God. My goodness, my improvement, the things I can do, or the finished work of what Jesus has done. Somehow that we've bought into this lie that self-improvement makes us happy. Right? If I can just feel better about myself today. Right? If, if people will just love me. Right? Oh, this is why I act this way. Right? I was born this way. This is why. Oh, it's a psychological thing. It's because of the soul. They're going to medicate it. So we do all these things trying to make ourselves happy. Listen, Jesus didn't come to cater to your happiness. Jesus came to make you holy. And happiness and joy is found in him. Otherwise, we'll be living life, we'll go through life frustrated. Why? Because our happiness is dependent upon what happens to us versus who we are in him. Does God want you happy? Absolutely. But he wants to be your source of, source of pleasure. He wants to be your source of joy. Listen, I have found that I found no joy in making myself happy. Never, never have I found, it may give me, like, I may be good for that day, but never have I found happiness and true joy in being self-centered. Never. I found a lot more joy in putting other people first. I found a lot of joy in having other people around me that are joyful. And so what, what I found is people that are most miserable, that, that struggle with self-esteem issues and all these battles, they're usually the most self-centered people you've ever met. They're reading all the books. They're reading all the articles and reposting them on Facebook. And they're the most miserable people to be around. Why? Because it is all about them. Listen, when you will get your eyes off yourself, you're going to find true joy. This is a poison. This is a poison the enemy will use. To get you, your eyes off Jesus and focus on yourself. And some of you already, you've been like, Pfft. It goes to show you how, 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 how easily we offended are, we are, shows how selfish we really are. So, if you want to justify your sins, weaknesses, tendencies, because this is what we do, right? We do something stupid, and we don't go, dang it. Oh, man, I'm sorry. What do we do most of the time? Well, it's just the way I am. Just get over it. Right? Well, it's because I was raised, blah, 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 blah. We have all the excuses, but God has made the arrangement. God has made the arrangement. We don't need any more excuses. Excuses are going to get you nowhere. What do you have when you have 40 excuses for the way that you are? Well, it's because this and that and that. You don't understand. I don't have to understand. Do you realize that when you come with excuses, it doesn't help the situation? You need to be justified. You need to be made right. And so this is what Jesus was battling with these people as they were saying, they need to be like them, you need to be like, and you need to be like us. And Jesus is like, well, actually, you need to be like me. <laughs> and Jesus was the most selfless person that we've ever seen. I don't, you know, Jesus knew his position. 
He had confidence. He had Godfidence. Come on. So if you want to justify your sins, weaknesses, tendencies, then he cannot rectify them. So you can choose. This is the way I am. It's because this happened. Blah, 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 blah. Reason, 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 reason. Or you can bring it to Jesus and say, Lord, you got to rectify this. You have to make these things right. So what is the antidote? All right. We talked about sin for a little bit. I'm convinced that talking about sin isn't the antidote. But it's good to know the problem. Right? It's the sick that need the doctor. So we got the diagnosis. The diagnosis that how many of you guys are with me that I struggle with self. Self Self-pity. Even if it's self-pity, it's still a form of pride. I'm glad that only a few of us are like that. The rest of you are so righteous. All right. So let's talk about the antidote. We've talked about the problem. We've talked about the poison. Let's talk about the antidote. Number one, you've got to get over yourself. You just got to get over yourself. Listen, you cannot follow Jesus and put yourself first. It don't work. I, I, start, I heard a term. I want to say the first time I ever heard it was like 15 years ago. I haven't heard it all my own life. And, and the term was this. The term was you got to love yourself. And I, I understand what people mean by that. But I'm like, I don't, I'm not really a guy that really battles like insecurities. I mean, we're all insecure to a certain degree. I'm not a guy that like really struggles with these like self uh, uh examining issues. I don't really struggle with that stuff. And I've never really used that. I just love myself. And I, and I heard this, and it was from a preacher. You got to love yourself. And I thought, really? Like, can you show me in the Bible one time where it says to love yourself? And uh, I'm not saying that you shouldn't love yourself. And selflessness, listen, being, being selfless doesn't mean that you think less of yourself. It means you think of yourself less, right? It means you don't put yourself first. Well, if I can't, I don't, if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anybody else. I've found that if I make it my job and my role on the earth to take care of other people, then the supply never runs out, <laughs> right? And so if I will make it my agenda to make sure that everyone around me feels good, that they're encouraged, and I'm being a life giver, then I don't run out of life. The problem is, is whenever I'm like, if I could just make it through today, I normally don't. I'm normally dry. So you've got to get over yourself. Listen, your greatest enemy isn't the devil. Your greatest enemy is you. That's your greatest enemy. That's my great. My greatest enemy is Josh Brown. And I, I, I got to be just like Paul that said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 31, I got to die daily. Every day I got to wake up and I got to die to some carnal desire that I have maybe because of blah, 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 blah. But it don't matter. I got to die to it. The motivation doesn't matter. What matters is the holiness. What matters is can I lay it down so I'm not, so I'm not toxified with the poison of self. It's an antidote we got to take daily, die daily. Jesus said, what did Jesus say about love yourself? This is what Jesus said about love yourself. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. Notice that that was the first thing. Before it said, follow me, you have to deny yourself. Because to follow him, you've got to recognize that my path isn't good enough. I need his path. 
Uh, Colossians 3, 3 says, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Galatians 2.20, Paul again, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. How many rights do dead people have? (laughs) How many arguments and reasons do dead people have? None. Yeah. So just get over yourself. Now that's out of the way. Number two, you got to give in to grace. You know what I've found is because I am self-centered, it's hard for me sometimes to give in to grace. Grace is something we have to give in to. we got to hand ourselves over to it. And sometimes it's harder to give in to what Jesus has done than it is for me to do things on my own. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Like it's easier for me to just kind of power through it. Rather than just be like, oh, I trust you. Right? Listen, if you are so caught up in defending yourself, no one else can defend you. If you are so caught up in defending yourself, no one else can defend you. It is so true. Well, this is the way. Right? And then everybody's going, dang, I don't want to be around that person. I just get drained every time I get around them. Because you either give life or you suck life. That'll go several ways. All right. Listen, grace is God's merited favor so you can live an overcoming life. It's not just so you can get into heaven. And that's what we've done with grace. We say, oh, it's just, ah, great. No, no, no. Grace is to empower you to be like Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 so it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are not self-righteous. We're the righteousness of God in Christ. This is our right standing. God made us that way, so we need to live that way. We need to line up our life with our righteousness. Jesus didn't come to take you to heaven. He came to empower you to overcome, to overcome sin, to overcome the flesh, and to overcome the devil. Matthew 1, 21, when, when, uh, when the angel came to Mary, he said, you're going to give his name, you're going to call him Jesus. And this is what it says. It says, because he will save his people from their sins. He will save the people from their sins. It doesn't say that he would save them from hell. Because that's not the root issue. The root issue is that we're fallen, that we're carnal. First John 3. I tell you what, if you want to like develop a hatred towards sin in your life, read First John. It's interesting. So a lot of people have they've kind of flipped the table on First John. It's like they read a couple isolated verses and then they skip the rest. I tell you, when I first got saved, I had a lot of sin to be purged in my life. I had a lot of sin that I needed to get before the Lord. I had a lot of flesh that needed to be crucified. And I spent a long time in First John. The, the first passages of Scripture I memorized, uh, not necessarily verses, but passages I memorized, were found here in First John. 
because I realized that I needed to die. First John chapter 3, and listen, grace gives us the power for this. It's because of what Jesus has done. First uh, John chapter 3, you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin. But anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. It's not what the preacher told me on television. (laughs) Dear children, now he's talking to people of faith. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous. It doesn't make them righteous. It reveals the righteousness, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, now understand that First John is talking about patterns of sinfulness. Yes. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. Well, that's not the scripture you want to put on the refrigerator. Maybe we should make that into a little plaque, a little T-shirt, a little pretty flowers on it, mountainscape. He who sins is of the devil. <laughs> Put that on your welcome mat. Contrary to popular belief, he who continues in sin is of the devil. In other words, those that continue in the pattern of the lifestyle of sin are not gods. Now, we're not talking about you sinning out of weakness. We're talking about the life that you're living, the lifestyle of sin or the lifestyle in Jesus. The, the difference is the posture in which we sin. Are you with me? So when you screw up, it's not like, well, it's just the way I am. I was just born this way. So I feel like, you know, I'm just attracted to women. And so I see women and I lust. It's just the way I am. It's because I got all these curses. Excuses, 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 excuses. Do you make excuses? Or do you say, Jesus, it's only by your grace I can overcome? What is the difference in your posture when you sin? When you sin, are you like, dang it? Because First John 1, not if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what is your posture when you sin? Listen, you're probably going to sin. I think when Jesus told the woman, go and sin no more, she probably did sin again. But was it her lifestyle? Was it the pursuit of her life to please herself or to please the one who rescued her? What is your posture when you sin? I believe that that is the theme of First John. It's not if you sin. Now, he does use that term, actually, if you sin, which I think is interesting because we've, we've put people in a box and said, you can't live a sin-free life. Well, not according to First John. Why would Jesus tell the woman, go and sin no more if it wasn't possible? Why would God have an expectation of something that's impossible? Last I checked, everything is impossible. Nothing is impossible for God. Now, you're probably going to. And you'll probably make an excuse for it. Okay. Or not. Y'all okay? 
There's a, there's a great difference between sinning out of weakness. Dang it. I was just weak in the moment and I screwed up because every sin's a choice. Every sin's a choice. If it wasn't a choice, it wouldn't be sin. But it is a choice. But when you make the choice, what is your posture? It's the way I am, and this is the great debate of the age. I was born this way. It's in my DNA. Well, get the supernatural DNA. Because the DNA, the supernatural DNA doesn't know no sin. So you may have to lay down your flesh every stinking day for the rest of your life, just like I will for my natural tendencies. We will have to lay it down. We will have to embrace grace. We will have to give into the perfect work of the cross. We will have to do it every single day. And it's not a battle. It's a giving in. It's like, oh. Now, listen, when you screw up, you don't need to get all shameful and be like, oh, I'm just such a screw up. Because then you're thinking about yourself again. Okay, let me continue reading. But the Son of of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they cannot keep on sinning because they are children of God. They can't. You can't continue to sin because you're a child of God. You can't. If I read that correctly. So they can't. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Pretty clear. Go make your Pinterest sign of that scripture. All right. Number three. So number one, get over yourself. Number two, give into grace. Number three. Get into your new identity. See, you're not, I hate this statement. We're just all sinners saved by grace. No, no, no. We were sinners, but we've been saved by grace. Sinners aren't saved. Sinners get saved, and they're no longer sinners. They're saints. Paul, Paul in his writing doesn't, doesn't go, dear sinners. He says, dear saints, because it's our position. It's our identity. You were a sinner. You were a screw-up. You were self-righteous. You were, you were self-justified. Not anymore. You're a saint. Ephesians 4. My wife posted this on Facebook this week, and I was like, I'm using that on Sunday. Boom. Since you have heard about Jesus and learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature. Now, some people kind of act like that this is an event that only happens one time. Now, you just throw off your sinful nature and then, you know, for the rest of your life, just do whatever you want. He's talking to believers here. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, you're in this thing. Throw off the old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let, your, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. You got a rotten attitude? Let the Spirit renew them. I know this is heavy today. Put on your new nature. Put on your new nature. Put it on. It's like a jacket. Every day I towel off, right? I'll get out of the shower and then I'll put on my clothes. And you're glad I do that. (laughs) And so so I'll put on clothing. Listen, every day you need to wake up and you need to put on your new identity. When you wake up and and the devil's beating you down because of something you did five years ago, you've been like, I'm not that guy anymore. 
Shut your mouth. Stupid. When you wake up and you feel insecure, you put on, I'll belong to God. My life is hidden in Him. You put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Not just a righteousness by deed, but a righteousness of heart that overflows into your life. Overflow into your life. Who we are, listen, who we are needs to be lost in the reality of who He is. Who you are is lost in the reality of who he is. Did God give you certain gifts? Absolutely he did. But all of that is to bring glory to Jesus, is to advance the kingdom of God. Let me just say this while we're talking about getting in our new identity. It's the thought that counts. Did you know that Jesus was crucified on Golgotha, the place of the skull. Listen, the battle always happens first in your mind, in your way of thinking. That's why it says the thoughts and attitudes, renew your thoughts and attitudes, the renewing of your mind, through the washing of the word, through praying in the spirit, through singing songs, through those kind of things that we do. It's a thought that counts in putting on this new nature. It's a mindset. Listen, Romans chapter 8, verse 5, it says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature Think about sinful things. So if you're continuing living life and you're thinking about sinful things, I'm not talking about like when you, I'm talking about like if you're sinning or if you sin or you're focused completely on your sin. Oh, I just need to stop doing this. I just need to stop. I need to stop doing this and I need to stop doing that. That is a mind not controlled by the spirit. Even if your motivation is right, you don't need to think about your sin more. You need to think about the son more. You need to think about Jesus more. It's not that you need to think less about your sin. You just need to think more about him. So you fill your thoughts in your, your mind and your heart with Jesus, with this presence, with what he's done, with the cross. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. You don't need to think about your sin anymore. That's still being self-consumed. So we sit around and we're like, oh. Man, I'm doing pretty good with God, except for this. Except for that. And so we're so sin conscious. We're just I, just, I just do this. Just have this issue. Just have this issue. I just have this issue. I just, I just can't get over this issue. It's just so, so hard. It's so to dominate your mind. That's not a mind controlled by the spirit. Listen, that is still being self-consumed. Stop thinking about your works and start thinking about his works, the works on the cross. Start thinking. Don't, don't be thinking, oh, man, I just oh, I struggle man, with this. And this chick walked by me at the store, and I'm like, hi. I just can't get over the lust. You know what I've found in my life? Even after I've overcome sinful behavior, it's like I'm still thinking that I'm dealing with that sinful behavior, even if I'm not. 
It's because my mind's not controlled by the Spirit. The, the Spirit says, I thank you, Jesus, that I'm forgiven. I thank you, Lord, that I am not a lust-filled man. Lord, I thank you that I have the mind of Christ. I thank you, Jesus, that I, that I crucified my flesh. I thank you, Lord, that my life is hidden in Christ. I thank you, Lord, that you provided the perfect sacrifice for my sin. Start thinking about the beauty of God. I thank you, Lord. When you start feeling down, when you start feeling discouraged or insecure, don't you think about that. You think about Jesus. I thank you, God, that you want me. I thank you, Lord, that even though I feel lonely, right now. I'm never alone because your presence is always there. This is a mind controlled by the Spirit. You're continually thinking about the goodness of God. You're continually thinking about how much God loves you and desires you. When you get this, when you put on this new identity, you will see life transformation happen. So don't, it's not about thinking about you. I know that I'm sitting here preaching and you're like, oh, sucker. But it's not about thinking about our issues more. The point is to get our mind off of the issues and onto Jesus. Your life is hidden. Your life is hidden. Everybody say that. My life is hidden. It's hidden. It's in him. It's not about you. It's not about your your works. It's not about your weakness. It's not about your failures. It's not about your past. It's about the love of Jesus. It's about his perfect desire for you. No matter even even when Adam blew it in the garden, God still showed up. That's the kind of God that we serve. He's not a God that's pissed off at you because you sinned again, like I just now did. Some people think <laughs> And listen, we don't wink at sin. We don't, we're not like, (laughs) God don't weak at sin either. He's not like, well, got you covered by the blood, buddy. It's okay. Go ahead and keep on, keep on going with that. (laughs) No, he hates sin and he wants you to abhor it too. Love what is evil. Love what is evil. Love what is good and hate what is evil. Abhor, abhor, hate it. Hate it to the core. You hate that sin, but you're not driven by hate. You're driven by love. So, get over yourself, give in to grace, get on your new nature. Number four, grow. Dang it, grow. Do whatever it takes to grow. Righteous people grow. They just grow. Some grow slower than others at different seasons, but they grow. It's what we do because we're well connected. So grow, whatever it takes. Wherever you're at, stretch yourself. If you're praying for five minutes, pray for ten or six or five and a half. Pray more. If you're listening to pagan music all the time, you're not going to go to hell for that. But what are you going to do to nurture your spirit when you're in the car? That's why why I fill my playlist up with worship music. And sometimes I listen to the Bible. I don't don't really fill it with just a bunch of stuff to be entertained. There's nothing wrong with the entertainment. But but why would would I want to waste these moments that I could just be nurtured? So I'll do whatever it takes to grow. So sometimes it's cutting away some fat. Come on. Some just filler to put in something that's going to nourish me. Right? Come on. So it could be one more minute in prayer a day. It could be one more verse. I, I got into this thing this year where, I, you know, the last couple of years, I got to read the Bible through in a year. And I'm really driven, you know. I'm not going to read it through in a year. And so what I'm finding myself, do, this is funny. This may help somebody. I'm like finding myself being like, oh, I got to read the word because I've got an agenda. And the agenda is to get through in a year. There's nothing wrong with that agenda. It's a good agenda, but I'm so driven by it that I'm not finding pleasure like when I read the Word. 
And so what I'm wanting to do is I'm just wanting to camp out like in Romans 8. I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's good. Or 1 John chapter 3, oh, right? And I just want to camp out there. There's nothing wrong with that. You just camp out there. Your only agenda in your prayer time, your only agenda in the Word is Him. He's the agenda. So grow. Do whatever it takes to grow. Get in the Word. Get in prayer. Get in relationship with the Holy Spirit. So every day, just spending more time with Him. Well, I just, you just don't know how busy I am. It is all about you, isn't it? You've got to nurture that new nature or the old nature will dominate you. And God has de- designed you to be an overcomer. So lay down the poison of self. 